I have always been fascinated. It's been a very healthy obsession with success. Why do some people have it and some people don't? And how do some people get it and maintain it and other people don't? I've always been interested in the stories, what's below the waterline. So when I interview people, I tell them, I'm not interested in what I can Google about you. I'm much more interested in what it took to get there. Because I have learned that high achievers are 400% more productive than the average person. So as we had this great resignation, everyone was walking out. Well, we need to not just replace those people. We need to replace them with the right people. And if we have those high achievers, not only are we replacing people, we're actually being more innovative. So who are these high achievers and how do we get them? So at the age of 43, I went back to school to get my doctorate to study this. And over the years, I have just added different kinds of high achievers. So I've interviewed Nobel Prize winners and astronauts and Olympic champions and other Olympians and NBA champions and NFL Hall of Famers and Fortune 500 CEOs and senior politicians, and the list keeps growing and growing. And I realized that a Nobel Prize winning scientist is just like a bedazzled Olympic champion figure skater. And if that's the case, I realized that success can be learned. But I was frustrated because I have three degrees. I don't remember having a single class on how to be successful. So I decided that I was going to figure this out and I was going to create the blueprint. And that's what I did with the book, The Success Factor. I have always been extremely competitive. And the path that worked for everyone else never really worked for me. So I always had to <laughs> just create a path. And it was not without a lot of heartache because there was no precedence for certain things. So, for example, uh, when I was in fifth grade, it was a long time ago, probably before Title IX, recess was broken down by gender. The boys played soccer. The girls traded stickers. And if you had googly eyes, that was, that was extra valuable. Well, I was not so interested in the high commodity sticker exchange. I just wanted to kick a ball around. And I remember my fifth grade teacher said, I'm sorry, but girls don't play soccer. Well, that didn't sound right to me because I couldn't, I mean, I was 10. I couldn't figure out there was nothing physically wrong that I couldn't play. So I couldn't understand. Now, remember, this is before we had the Mia Hams and, you know, the Megan, all these people. So I went to the library and I took out every single book that had a picture of a girl playing soccer. That Monday morning, I put it on my teacher's desk. It was, you know, two feet high. And I said, I'd like to revisit that conversation about girls playing soccer. P.S. Girls have been playing soccer at that school ever since. Not only did I just hear a super vulnerable story that you heard part of your way is when someone tells you something, part of your response is to go do some research, which is exactly what you said, how you came up with the book was, hey, I've got three doctorates and I've, I know a lot of stuff and not a single class was on how to be successful. So by golly, I better go find that out. And that's how you do. You know, I, I didn't even realize that, but you summed it up perfectly. And I think unless it's your personal safety, when someone tells you no, it really just means not yet. And I need to figure out how to convince you to make this happen. 